What does it mean to mourn, to grieve, to sorrow? Well, basically, it's talking about lamenting here, and that's really the word that Christ is referring to in verse 4. Blessed are they that have a lamentation, such sorrow, such grief, that they are, they are lamenting. Now, he's not talking about some person who's always feeling sorry for themselves. He's talking about them that mourn, them who have a true heartache. There's a burden on their heart. There's something that's come into their life. And he says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's odd, isn't it? But I want to consider that today. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in the fifth chapter, Matthew chapter 5. There was a visitor at a zoo here a while back, and he saw one of the employees crying over in the shadows, and so he inquired of the zookeeper what was wrong. And the zookeeper said, well, one of our elephants died this last week. Well, the visitor was touched. He thought, that's so sweet. That employee must have been very attached to that elephant. And the zookeeper said, uh, no, he, he has to dig the hole and bury the elephant. That's why he's crying. I want to talk to you about mourning today, but in a more serious way. Jesus Christ here is, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he's given to us the Beatitudes, and he says something very strange. We're going to look at it here as we begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 4. Matthew 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's strange, isn't it? Blessed are they that mourn. We wouldn't feel that way, would we? But Jesus Christ gives us here a truth from His Word. There is a blessing in mourning. And we'll be talking about that as we deal with the manner of mourning. The manner of mourning. Let's pray before we begin. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask You, dear Lord, to bless this time in Thy Word. Help us now to take a look at this verse and May it never be the same to us again as we understand the truth that Christ was trying to give to us here. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to, I guess it would be kind of a security guard yesterday, and he had had a tragedy that had struck him in the past, I think, month, just last month. He had lost one of his children in a car accident, but not any car accident. The older brother had actually run the younger sister over. And because she was about, I think, ten and a half, I could so relate to his tragic story. It just took place a few weeks ago. I have a daughter about that age, and it just really, it really hit home with me, and I've thought about it many times since then. Somebody said, life is a veil of tears. How true that is. There are continual heartaches, there is continual sorrow. And it's been said the human being is the only species that can shed tears. And you think about that, in the animal kingdom, nothing cries, but God has made us to cry. You know, they say that we evolved from apes, which evolved from something else, but it's really very silly to believe that, because there's an emotional makeup to us that only our Creator could give to us. And the truth of the matter is, we can be grieved because God can be grieved. 
because we were made in His image. We read in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. It's, it's the part of the Godhead, the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved and we can be grieved because we were made in God's image. What does it mean to mourn, to grieve, to sorrow? Well, basically, it's talking about lamenting here, and that's, that's really the word that Christ is referring to in verse 4. Blessed are they that have a lamentation, such sorrow, such grief, that they are, they are lamenting. As a church, we've mourned recently, as we've seen three of our church folks graduate on to glory and have a, have a home going. There's no grief, it's been said, like the grief that cannot speak. And this past week, my grief and many of you had a grief that, that couldn't even talk. And words were really not even necessary. There is no grief like a grief that cannot speak. I think it was Longfellow who described grief in the following way. He said, grief is a widow with three children yet at home. Grief is a meal that is eaten alone by a widower. Grief is a regret over something that cannot be undone. Maybe something we should have said and didn't, or something we shouldn't have said and did, or something we should have done and did not do, or something we did do and we should not have done it. But now there's a cluster of adjustments in our life, things that that are are, are throwing us into a tailspin, and, and our life will never quite be the same. Jesus Christ talks about that in our text here. He says, first of all, in verse number 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, what's he talking about there? Well, by poor in spirit, he's speaking of a humility, a lowliness, a, a condescension of self, where we humble ourselves. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or those who don't think a lot of themselves, those who are humble. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of folks who get saved, and that's what he's talking about there. Christ said in another place, except we humble ourselves as little children. We shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And the prerequisite of salvation is a humility. And he's talking about that in verse 3, but that's not our text. In verse 4, he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn? Now the world would take a look at that and say, I don't see any blessing in mourning. I mean, blessed are they that never have to mourn. That's how the world looks at it. But that's not how our Creator looks at it. We think, man, it'd be great if I never had any grief. Great if I never had any sorrow. Great if I never had to mourn. But that's not what Jesus says. And that's not what the Word of God says. We read in Psalm 34, 18, the Bible says, The Lord is nigh or close unto them that are of a broken heart. And save us such as be of a contrite, a broken spirit. It doesn't say the Lord is close to them who are having a party and everything's going great and life is full of merriment. But the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save us such as be of a contrite spirit. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about here. When He says in verse number 4 of our text, Blessed are they that mourn. It's the strongest word there is for mourn in the Greek. It's, it's to lament. It's to actually wail. It's to hurt in our heart. And he says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Now, he's not talking about some person who's always feeling sorry for themselves. Some sad sack who's a pessimist who walks around with his hands in his pocket kicking a can with a, 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 great, a great cloud hanging over his head. No, he's not talking about that person. That person is inward and they need to get outward. That person needs to be thinking of others instead of themselves. The, the problem with that person is they're always worried about self. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about them that mourn. Them who have a true heartache. There's a burden on their heart. There's something that's come into their life that has sent them into a tailspin. And he says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's odd, isn't it? But I want to consider that today. And as we talk about this this manner of mourning, first of all, we see what I call the sad matter. The sad matter of mourning. Mourning is a reality. It's a a fact of life, is it not? We read in Lamentations 1.12, where Jeremiah says, Is it nothing to you, O ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. You ever felt that way? Now, Jeremiah was really lamenting. That's why he wrote the Lamentations. And lament is the very word that Christ used when he said, Mourn here. And he's lamenting. He is hurting. And he says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Notice he refers to those who are walking by because life goes on for them, but not him. You ever felt that way? Something happens in your life and it hurts and you're in mourning, but the world goes on. And Jeremiah says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And then he says, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Is there anything that that is like this as his heart is breaking? Mourning is an age-old problem, if you want to call it that, but it's a reality. We read in Isaiah 15.3, it says, In their streets they shall gird themselves with sackcloth, the garment of mourning. On the tops of their houses and in their streets, everyone shall howl, weeping abundantly. Here Isaiah writes something that uh, took place 2,700 years ago. But they were mourning. They had on sackcloth. They were on the tops of their houses, in the streets, howling, weeping, he says, abundantly. The Jewish people, being an emotional people in the Bible, did a lot of mourning. Sometimes mourning takes place over the loss of a loved one. I think of the great man Moses. Moses was a man who was mocked during his ministry and, and challenged. He was a great leader of the Bible, but I'm telling you, he paid for it with a price. And when he died, however, the people had a change of heart. And we read in Deuteronomy 34.8, the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Notice the great lamentation there they made over the loss of their leader. You know, Emerson put it this way. He said, sorrow makes children of us all again. And you think about it. We heard testimonies this last week of of kids who lost their children's church teacher and, and, and their hearts were hurting. But we heard from also adults and contemporaries, peers. But somebody said, sorrow makes us all children again. Sorrow erases all differences in intellect. It doesn't matter if you're a rocket scientist or you're a simple person. Sorrow erases all difference in intellects. There's just something about sorrow. Look in Matthew 9, just a few pages forward if you would. Jesus Christ makes reference to that in Matthew chapter 9. Something had happened. In fact, Jairus' daughter had died. And Jesus Christ raised her from the dead. Or He was about to. But notice in verse 23. Matthew 9.23 says, And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. 
He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. The reason they did, they knew she was dead. But of course, he raises her once again. But notice in verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. You say, Pastor, what was this? There were actually paid mourners back in those days who would play sad songs in minor keys. And they would wail. And they would weep. And notice they're doing that. Making a noise here actually. Mourning is something that is found all over the Scriptures. It's a reality. It was a reality then. It's a reality today. Because life is not some carefree thing. Heaven is. Heaven's a wonderful place as we sing. But this earth here has many, many heartaches. And there are many things to mourn over. There are many things even for Christian people to mourn over. And maybe you know the burden of some of these things. For example, the mourning for a lost one who's not saved. And you know they're not saved. It might be a parent. It might be a, a child. It might be a sibling. It might be a cousin. It might be a neighbor. It might be a coworker. It could be anybody. But you bear that burden for them. I was talking to a fellow who's sitting here today a couple of years ago. He has an unsaved son. And he said, I have such a burden for my son. He said, do our loved ones know the burden they place upon us when they reject the gospel? And the answer is they probably don't because of the blindness of the heart the Bible speaks of. But in Psalm 126.6 it says, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. That precious seed there being the gospel. And he that goeth forth being the witness, the soul winner. But notice, he weepeth as he goes forth. He has that burden. He is mourning. There are a number of times I've mourned for my loved ones. My unsaved relatives. And you too as well. And maybe you have some that you're mourning for today. Maybe you have something else today that you are mourning about. Something you're sorrowing over. Something you're grieved over. Something that is heavy on your heart. I want to stop here and say God notices that. God takes note of that. We find in Genesis 21, and we won't turn there, but there's this gal, she's a, she, we could say she's a pagan gal, a heathen gal. Her name is Hagar. But she's mourning over her child, her son. And God takes note of that. God looks down from heaven and He, he assists her in her dilemma here. And then we read in Exodus, the following book, about the Jewish people. And they're in, they're in Egyptian bondage there, and they have been for years. And we read in Exodus 3.7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I want you to think of the last part of that verse. I know their sorrows. God knows our sorrows. He says, I have surely seen their affliction. Not just I've seen it, but I've surely seen it. I've been observing it. I've been watching it. I'm cognizant of it. I see what's going on here. And he says at the end of the verse, I know their sorrows. So we see, first of all, this sad matter of mourning. But secondly, we see these sorrowing models of mourning. And they're found all over the Bible. These, these examples here. It's, a, it's an age-old problem. And as we read our Bibles here, we, we read it like who's who. Those who had heartaches and those who had burdens. It was Solomon who said there's nothing new under the sun. So the experiences of mourning that we have in the 21st century, they, they had in the 1st century and even B.C. There was Jacob, who thought Joseph, his beloved son, was dead. And he mourned for his son Joseph. And they were trying to comfort him, saying, Dad, it'll be alright, you need to get on with life. But in Genesis 37-35, he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into my grave unto my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Notice, he, he would not be comforted. 
His heart was hurting, and he grieved. And then there's somebody, a few books of the Bible forward there by the name of Naomi. As she goes into Moab, there she loses her husband, there she loses uh, her sons, and she decides to go back to the Holy Land, back to Israel. And she gets back there, and everybody's saying, hey, Naomi's back in town. And in Ruth 1.20, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. That name Mara meaning bitter. Naomi was bitter. She was in mourning. She was hurting. And she might have even been bitter at God over her sorrow. Maybe you sit here today and there's, there's a hurt in your heart. And maybe you're tempted to blame God. Be careful at that point. Be careful at being miffed at the majesty. We find these sorrowing, these sorrowing models of mourning. You know, Jacob thought he lost his son. He didn't. But David actually lost his son Absalom. Absalom was killed in battle. It's such a sad, sad story. And in 2 Samuel 18.33, the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom. My son, my son. One of the saddest, lamentable things in the whole Bible here. And then there was Hannah. Hannah was a lady in the Bible who wanted a, a child in the worst way. And, and she was praying there at the temple. And, and her lips were moving, but uh, she wasn't saying anything. And Eli, the old high priest, thought she was drinking. And in 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. We see these many, many models here. These sorrowing models in the Bible. We could talk about Job all day. The fact he lost everything and, and what a burden he had on his heart. We could talk about Tamar back there uh, who was violated by her half-brother and the mourning that she did. We could talk about King Josiah, a good king, a godly king. But when he saw after many years what this Bible had to say and knew the condition of his people, the Bible said he mourned. There was Ezra who had such a burden over the compromise of his own people when they intermarried with the heathen. The Bible says he mourned greatly, even plucked out his beard. There was Elisha who watched his mentor Elijah go home to heaven in a fiery chariot and mourned and wailed as he left. You won't be the first person to mourn. You won't be the last person to mourn. Even Jesus Christ knew what it was like to hurt. Look in John chapter 11. He knew what it was like to be sad, to feel a heartache. Here in John chapter 11, we find the story of Lazarus, a friend of Christ, who had passed away. And everybody was sad about it. And Mary, his sister, the sister of Lazarus, said, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. In John 11, notice verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Notice, Jesus Christ knew what it was like to hurt, to mourn. In fact, there was something written about him about 700 years before his birth. Way back in Isaiah 53.3, it tells us he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Think about that. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. The Bible calls him that. Nowhere does the Bible call Jesus Christ a man of miracles, though he did many miracles. Nowhere does the Bible call Jesus Christ a man of knowledge, though he was omniscient and he knew absolutely everything. Nowhere does the Bible call Jesus Christ a man of prayer, though he prayed. 
like no man's ever prayed. But the Bible does call Jesus Christ a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, somebody said that sorrow makes silence her best orator. And it really does. There's just something about sorrow. And words can't even put it into, into expression. But tears, someone said, are the showers that fertilize the world. And how true it is. We see the sad matter, that sad matter of mourning. We see that sorrowing models of mourning. And Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. So we have a hard time understanding that. But thirdly, we see the sound merit of mourning. What good, what merit could there be in mourning? Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. How could that be? In the Wizard of Oz, Oz, the wizard himself, told the tin man who didn't have a heart and wanted one. He said, hearts will never be practical until they have been made unbreakable. That's a classic line, isn't it? And we listen to that, we say, yeah, how true that is. But really, that's not true. Our Creator had something else in mind when He made our hearts breakable. And many is the time you and I have had a heart that is breaking. You say, why would God give us a heart that breaks? Well, folks, first of all, we need to realize we live in a sin-cursed world. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we try to make this a utopia. A little bit of heaven on this earth. It never has been and it never will be. We live in a sin-cursed world. You know, we've had three people from our church group here go on to heaven recently. Sam and Phil and Kathleen here recently. I have thought more than ever about heaven because of the fact those folks walked amongst us just a few days ago. Yea, just a few weeks ago. And now they're there. They're walking those streets of gold. They've crossed over Chile, Jordan. They've made that trip we're all going to have to make one day. And you have to pinch yourself sometime to think, they're on the other side. They've graduated up into glory. They were just here sitting in these pews not that long ago. But they're there now. And what a place heaven must be. <laughs> but this isn't heaven, folks. We are living in a sin-cursed world. We have to remember that. There's going to be times of mourning. Secondly, we need to remember about mourning that nothing bonds our hearts together like a tragedy. Merriment doesn't do it. You know, the Twins winning the, the, the World Series and the Vikes winning the Super that doesn't do it. Having a lot of money, full cupboards, everything's going great, gas tank is full, kids are healthy, that's all wonderful. But that doesn't bond our hearts together, does it? It is tragedy that does that. It is hurting, it is sorrow, it is mourning. And so we live in a sin-cursed world. Nothing bonds our hearts together like tragedy. And thirdly, nothing grows us up like mourning. I mean, having it made doesn't grow us up. But mourning does. Tragedy does. Sorrow does. It was Robert Browning Hamilton who wrote the following. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But I was none the wiser for what she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. There's something about walking alongside of sorrow. And the, the, the person who lives on the silver spoon and the, the person who lives amongst a rose garden is going to be stunted. Going to be stunted. Because it's adversity that grows us up. You know, I was thinking recently as I was talking to another preacher about some of the, the fishing trips we've taken up to Canada over the years. 
And we've had sunshine trips where everything goes perfect. And then we've had trips that are, I mean, they're raining when we set up camp. They're raining when we, we try and prepare a shore lunch. It's raining when we tear down. Uh, we run out of bait. We run out of tackle. Uh, we have problems with the boat. I mean, everything goes wrong. We had a time when the boat got away. And yours truly had to swim about a half mile to go retrieve it and bring it back. I mean, we've had those times. But, you know, guess which trips we talk about? The trips with trials. The trips with adversity. The trips with setback. Those are the ones that grow us up. It's the adversities of life. It's the sorrow that we walk alongside of that grows us up. William Cooper, many years ago, wrote that great song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Cooper really experienced a lot of heartache in life, and I don't have time to get into that right now. But he said, sorrow is a sacred thing. thought about that. It really is. Sorrow is a sacred thing. Sorrow is the root of all virtue, he said. And how true that is. It's when we go through those hard times. Henry Ward Beecher said, sorrow makes men sincere. How true that is. It is sorrow that makes us sincere. Is yours a dried-eyed faith? Is yours a dried-eyed life? Is mine a dried-eyed faith? God made us to grieve. Think about that. We were made to mourn. You say, well, what over? How about the condition of society? We live in a sin-sick, sex-saturated society, don't we, in this day and age? Does that grieve you? I know it grieves God. It ought to grieve us. How about our own sin? Does your sin grieve you? My sin grieves me. You know, sometimes everybody else's sin grieves us. Well, i got a problem with that person. What about our own sin? It ought to grieve us. Do we mourn over our own sin? Look, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I know the world would laugh at that because the world makes a mock at sin. The Bible says fools make a mock at sin. But do the things that break the heart of Jesus Christ break your heart? We live in a society that is laughing now at adultery, laughing at perversion, laughing at wickedness. We are spiritually bankrupt, folks. And it was that kind of sin that spiked Jesus Christ to that rugged Roman cross and kept Him there writhing in anguish and pain, bleeding on those nails for our sin. The Bible says that God is grieved with our sin. One verse, Hebrews 3.10. God says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. The ways of God are between these two covers here, folks. But people really don't care. And God says, they've not known my ways and I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and have not known my way. Sin's not a light thing, friend. Sin grieves God. Sin grieves God. Here in 2 Corinthians 7, notice verse number 10 says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Now let's just stop right there. Godly sorrow is the prerequisite to salvation, true salvation, being born again. Uh, a godly sorrow worketh a repentance, which in the Bible means a change of heart, a change of mind, a metanoio, that's the word in the Greek, to think again about our sin, to think differently of our sin, not to want to sin. We live in a, a, a pagan nation. We have a bunch of churches with baptized pagan people, bottom line. And, and people join churches like they would join some kind of country club. Because it's part of our culture. It's in vogue. It's a thing to do. Have a membership in a church someplace. But we have a nation of baptized pagans. 
plain and simple, who have never been broken over their sin, never mourned over their sin. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. How about mourning over our sin? Because godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. We have a nation of people who even talk about being born again, especially in the Bible Belt. And they'll make some little decision for Jesus, some little flippant decision for Jesus Christ, but they have never been broken and they have never repented. You know that repentance and faith are like both sides of a coin. You've got to have both of them for salvation. And the Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Now there are two types of repentance mentioned here in verse 10. The verse goes on and it says, But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, there's a, a sorrow of the world that leads to a false repentance. It's a dead end. It worketh death. And there are, there are those who regret what they've done because of the consequences of it. And they have some kind of remorse over it because they feel guilty and they didn't want this to happen. You know, the Bible tells us that Judas betrayed the Lord, sold his Savior out for 30 pieces of silver, and felt yucky afterwards, felt guilty afterwards. And he went back to the high priest and he threw that money down. And the high priest mocked him and said, Your problem, buddy. Can you picture the trembling hands of Judas after that? Forming a noose and going out and tying it onto that tree and hanging himself and trying to get rid of that hell within only to experience the hell beyond forever and ever where he's at today. That is a false repentance. That's the repentance that this verse is talking about here. You compare it with Peter, on the other hand. Now, Peter betrayed the Lord too, didn't he? In a sense, he sold out. Because the fear of man bringeth a snare. And he denied the Lord three times. But as his eyes met the Lord, he realized he had not only broken God's law, but he had broken God's heart. And it broke his heart. The Bible says he went out. He wept bitterly. Bitterly. That's true repentance. That's that's the kind of repentance that brings about forgiveness of sin. Do you need forgiveness of sin today? You know, regret is something that takes place in the mind, but repentance, true repentance, is something that takes place in the heart. And there are, there are many who love their sin, they want to hang on to it, but they hate the guilt and they hate the consequences that comes with their sin. And it's a false repentance. We ought to hate our sin because it's an offense to God. We ought to hate our sin because it spiked Jesus Christ to Calvary's cross. We have offended our God, we have offended our Creator when we sin. It ought to bother us. We read in the Bible about a fellow by the name of David who sinned with Bathsheba. The sweet psalmist lowered his guard and committed adultery with another man's wife. It's a sad, sordid, steamy story in the Bible. And when it was over, David hated himself for it. And he wrote Psalm 51. And he said to God against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Notice all sin is against God. All sin is toward our Creator. And though David had sinned against others, he said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He said, I am so sorry, God. I so hurt over what I've done. He said, There's really no sacrifice that'll make me feel better. In fact, he said in verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God. That's what Jesus Christ was talking about when He said, Blessed are they that mourn. 
Notice David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. He wasn't just broken over the mess he had made over his sin. He was broken over what his sin had done to God. What an offense he had been toward his Creator. That's why back in verse 10 here, 2 Corinthians 7, it says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. Don't change your mind about that. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So we see this guilt and we see how it leads to grief, but then we see the wonderful thing called grace. Grace. Jesus said in our text, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. For they shall be comforted. That's, that word comforted there is a very special word. It's, it's not talking about some kind of a, a sympathetic pat on the back. There, there kind of a thing. It really comes, the word comfort comes from two English words that come from Latin words. Come meaning with, to come with, and fort, come fort. We get our word fort from it, meaning strength to fortify, for fortification or fortress. And God is basically saying, I will comfort, I will come with you and give you my strength. I will strengthen you. In Psalm 138 verse 3, psalmist said, In the day when I cried, Thou answerest me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. He said, God, when I cried unto you, when I was mourning, you comforted me. You strengthened me. Now, how, how does God do that to us in the 21st century? Well, through His indwelling Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said in John 14, 16 to His disciples, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, for He dwelleth with you. Notice he said, I will send another, speaking of himself, another comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Does he abide with you today? Does he reside within you? Have you been saved? Does he live in your heart? Does he speak peace to your soul? Does he abide with you and comfort you at those times of mourning? You know, on March 5th, 1981, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the Spirit of God came and dwelt within me. I was mourning over my sin. I wanted, I wanted something better. I wanted to please God. I didn't want to be an offense to Him. I meant business. There was that change of mind. You know, you don't shimmy unto God. And, and you don't saunter into salvation. You don't dance down the aisle to get saved. Is there that mourning over sin? Is there that repentance there? I find a pattern in the Bible in fact, there's a song that says joy comes in the morning, but real joy follows the morning. There's a principle there. When we get saved, there's joy. I want you to go back with me 2,000 years as Jesus Christ was talking to His disciples at the Last Supper. And He was soon to go to the cross. He was soon to suffer and bleed and die. And He said to them in John 16:20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you should be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And oh, what joy when he came out of that grave 72 hours later, three days later. Now the world was rejoicing. The heathen were saying, glad, we're, we're rid of him. And the disciples were weeping and lamenting, but their sorrow was turned into joy. And two verses later, he said, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. It's been said the longest day still has an ending. 
It really does. No matter what we go through, no matter, Christian, what you're going through even today, number one, there's a purpose to it. And number one, there's light up ahead. And as we put it in perspective of eternity, and you put it on that plane, and you think about it in that way, there's really no comparison. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. Think about that. In fact, there's a verse that we could look at that says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far greater and exceeding eternal value. There's no sorrow in heaven. We're told that in Revelation 21.4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I am looking forward to the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. We read in Isaiah 35.10 that the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Watch this. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That day is coming. We sing about it. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away when Jesus comes to reign. Will you be a part of that? Have you been saved? Will you be there that day? Have you had a time in your life when you mourned over your sin, you realized you were lost, you had a godly sorrow that worked repentance, you turned to Christ and placed all your trust and all your faith in Him and called upon Him in a simple sinner's prayer and were born again the Bible way? Do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You've been saved the Bible way. Jesus says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. There's that morning. You know, we read how 700 years before his birth, the Bible called him a, a man of sorrows. Well, in that same chapter, Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What a blessing that is to know. For over three decades now, he has borne my griefs. He's carried my sorrows. How about you? As you read the Beatitudes... As you see what Jesus Christ had to say in our text, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You say, Pastor, it never made sense to me before. I pray that it would at this time, and it would forever. And it would be perfect in our minds. Yes, there's a reason for mourning. We see that. We see the sad matter. We see the soaring models. But we see the sound merit of mourning. And when Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, He meant it for they shall be comforted. Thank God for that. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.